Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. And welcome to episode seven of the Sand Hills podcast. We are really excited to sit down today with Dr. Steve Johnson from Columbia International University, who's one of the heads of the psych program uh, over there. And he's also the head of the Albert Ellis Institute in New York City. And so this is going to be a great conversation with truly one of our nation's experts on this topic of mental health and how Christians can engage in the conversation. We're going to talk about some misconceptions. We're going to talk about some critical things to know for ourselves and then end with how can we be taking care of our mental health and taking it seriously. We hope that this is a beneficial podcast to you, that it helps encourage you, edify you, and that it helps you love others well. Enjoy. No, the only time you're really going to be free and fulfilled is when, as a created being, you begin to walk in the way that he's created you to operate. But what you do need to do is just be a faithful representation of what you believe. Live it, live it boldly, don't hedge on anything, and just simply be who you are for the sake of Christ and the gospel and the church. And don't think about it in terms of like, did I make sure that they understood that I think they're wrong? In every generation, we need to evangelize the church. There is no Christian culture. Christianity is the message of God's Son sacrificed on the cross for our salvation. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we going to choose him or not? And I often tell people, people don't leave church because of God. Mm-hmm. They leave because of other people. Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for coming back onto the show. It's a pleasure to see you again, to have you here uh, with us. We're very excited to talk about this and and to have uh, the head of the Albert Ellis Institute here, professor of psychology at CIU. This is uh, incredibly exciting. Thank oh, you for being on the show. Thank you. That's my pleasure to be here again. Um, we are going to be taking a dive uh, into the questions of misconceptions with Christianity and mental health, mm-hmm. um, one that has... Um, I think in in recent memory, it feels like it's been happening forever, but one that I think the church started off very strong with, um, with the traditions of the church and of uh, Judaism coming through uh, and the lessons learned from the Ten Commandments, Sabbath. We'll jump into all these things. But just right off the bat, where do you think that the misconception that Christians don't take mental health seriously comes from? Um. As a psychologist, it's pretty easy. I go, it's just a cognitive error. We call it overgeneralization, right? Mm. And I think people bump into um, Christians, and some of those Christians may have rather bizarre or aberrant views mm. about mental health, and, and individuals overgeneralize, thinking that that one individual speaks authoritatively or represents right. all of Christianity or uh, the the church, when that is certainly not not the case. That doesn't mean that we don't have some individuals out there with um, kind of whacked out ideas mm. <laughs> about what mental health is uh, is about. I mean, it was in the past, you know, as a psychologist, sometimes when I go to other churches or I'm out of town and I'll hear a pastor even talking about anger and I'm going, oh my gosh, I wish they had contacted me before mm. <laughs> we were talking about that. Um, and uh, and so you know, but we all have our strengths. We all have mm-hmm. our weaknesses, mm-hmm. and 
it's usually better if we don't speak outside our domain of expertise sometimes, <laughs> or at least consult each other. Mm. And so that's rare, but occasionally, you know, there'll be an idea like that. And then someone may overgeneralize one sentence out of an entire sermon, you know, or take right. it out of context and, right. and or form these uh, overgeneralizations. I don't worry about that too much because that's the way the human brain is fixed to overgeneralize. And we can talk about that a little bit later when we yeah. answer some other questions. And, and that kind of brings into how, how have Christians misunderstood or miscommunicated our beliefs on mental health. I think that that comes into a uh, direct play with how you mentioned in sermons, because oftentimes our perception of these things can be influenced by one person um, right. speaking to a crowd. And so how are, how has that happened? How has it slipped in? You know, how has that happened yeah. throughout church history? Oh, throughout history, that's that's huge. And I think mm-hmm. that, um, first, let me say, I frankly don't believe that science and authentic faith are in contradiction in any mm. way whatsoever. Science is, in, is constantly developing and going more mm. deeply, and we change our mind when we get disconfirming evidence, right? Yes, that's and right. so that's what I love about science. It's it's about honesty and not pretending that you don't mm. that you know what you don't know. And we're, I mean, it's amazing when you think God created this in the twinkle of an eye, right? Mm. And then it, we spend our lives just studying this, and so we're slowly developing these these I, ideas. And but I think one thing that I see kind of repeatedly is um, if I go back to Torah, if I go back to yeah. the Old Testament when it's talking about a human. Uh, in Hebrew, the word is nefesh, right? Right. And nefesh just means this one entity. It's a living entity. And even in Scripture, it kind of unfolds what the aspects of nefesh are. And so mm. we get Rabbi Paul talking in the New Testament, and he talks about three parts or four parts, you know, depending right. on the day, right? <laughs> and And letting us know that we are a unified, live being, but mm-hmm. there are aspects to us. And I think sometimes what happens is that we will uh, prioritize those uh, parts. So some people might say, oh, no, the spirit is the overarching controlling. Well, there's no evidence for that, either empirically or in, in Scripture, as far mm-hmm. as I know. Each are important. And um, and so some people will say that... Um, that mental and emotional disorders are just a manifestation of a spiritual issue. Well, mm. no, not quite. I mean, since we are, you know, tripartite or uh, fourfold division and we're right. still nefesh, um, each of those parts kind of influences the other, but not uh, necessarily causally, right? Yeah. So that it is true that if we have some spiritual problems, that may get manifested as a mental emotional disorder. Or someone with a mental and emotional disorder, some aspects of that disorder may look like a spiritual issue, but it may be mm. just biologically based, right? Yeah. And so I think if people think that, um, uh, th- then they get to think that, oh, well, you know, if, there, if the spirit was right, then there would be no mental and emotional disorders. And I think there's one little thing that they misunderstand there, and that I think we need to take the fall seriously. Mm. All of those parts are messed up. Right, yeah. and so we should expect to see some mental and emotional uh, disorders, and not all of them are caused by, uh, you know, some some uh, spiritual deficiency. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And and that really, I mean, gosh, 
you covered that perfectly. That really goes from the beginning of history with the fall all the way to now and how uh, we, we see that it affects everything and that if we miscommunicate something, you know, all the way up to today from from the front or to, to people in private conversations, um, having that misunderstanding or an overgeneralization, just like you were saying, I mean, that can do some serious harm to someone um, as they're struggling and walking through that. It, it can do some harm, but the, I think the good thing about humans is that God created us pretty well, you know, mm. and so we are really amazingly resilient. I always take um, 9-11, for example. Everyone goes, oh, my gosh, this was a terrible, horrible thing, and it was absolutely, you know, yeah. terrorism was always horrible. And those individuals there saw some horrible, horrible situations 30% of them developed PTSD. That means 70% who went through the very same thing wow. did not develop. And so, but it's like our brain to focus on the most negative outcome and then generalize mm. from that. So in, in, in actuality, we're pretty resilient on those things. Wow. And so sometimes despite some mishigas um, or some craziness in speech, et cetera, mm -hmm. we, do pretty, we do pretty well. And I think God was, you know, Fantastic and creep putting us in community, so there's a balance of ideas there, right. and uh, and that's a, a protective factor, I think. Yeah, and how how do we see it come up throughout Scripture? So we saw we saw Genesis right with the fall mm -hmm. there that it that everything is going to be impacted, which would make sense that mental and emotional right. health are going to be impacted. Well, how else do we see it come up throughout Scripture? In scripture, like all over the place. Um, you know, I wish I, I always said I would love to teach the Bible from a mental health, of course, from the mental health perspective, because mm. it shows all the potential mental and emotional issues arise. Yeah. And I love the attitude of God toward individuals with mental and emotional struggles, et cetera, there. But one, um, the scripture de describes all the possible emotions. I was uh, years ago, probably before you were born, I was working on a spiritual assessment. And I went to scripture to look at all the ways that this, uh, the spirit, spirit is described. Well, most of those are what are covered in psychology today. So mm. it'll talk about an angry spirit or a depressed spirit. Yeah. You know, all kinds of spirits. And all of those are actually mental and emotional issues yeah. that we cover. There are 800 and some verses that, were look, that described the, the uh, uh, spirit, which was uh, utterly amazing. Um, other ones, you know, um, the Bible talks quite a bit about uh, substance abuse disorders. Mm. And, and so, for example, when it talks about the use of alcohol, it talks about the consequences of alcohol in terms of its impact upon relationships, yeah. on its relationships on cognitions, the way we think, and even its um, deleterious effects on leadership. If yeah. leaders drink, right? So it's covering mental and emotional disorders exactly the way that we would cover that wow. uh, today. Um, for example, it talks about why we need a balance between rest and, uh, you know, uh, Shabbat and, and work. Um, the relationships between guilt and suicide that we see within Judas, and, and mm. I would love to have had a conversation wow, with him yeah. to see what his dysfunctional beliefs were before um, he engaged in um, unhelpful behavior betrayal and right. unhelpful behavior uh, suicide, right? Yeah. And um, problems with family relationships. Let's go back to the original family. That was highly dysfunctional. Mm. Uh, one brother killing another brother, and what was yeah. the what were the dynamics about that? 
eating disorders. I mean, you would think it was the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders as we look wow. through all of those things. So it's real heavy on uh, on um, the, what uh, kinds and uh, uh, manifestations are of mental and emotional issues. Yeah, the two that jumped out to me as as you were you were saying that I was think of uh, King Saul mm. has a huge. I mean, he's famous for it flies into fits of rage, tries to kill his son, even throws a spear at him, calls him um, very derogatory names, right. um, you know, and is just flies off the handle. And then uh, you see when he's having some of those fits of rage earlier in his life um, that David's music can soothe him. And that's fascinating to see the mental and emotional health aspect of Saul's life. I mean, you could do a whole series on just Saul, you know. Absolutely. <laughs> Abraham and his... Yeah. His anxiety and the one I really like, and because I got to see Jesus do psychotherapy in action, is uh, the young man, uh, the uh, man by the well who had been there for ages, right? Mm. And Jesus does not sit down with him and say, "Now I need to hear about your early childhood events." Right. You know. Right. He says, "Get up, <laughs> take your mat, and get going." A wonderful behavioral intervention. So it demonstrates mm. how we often act today in psychotherapy when we give behavioral interventions for people who are stuck, you know? So, so much about mental health and even ways that you can even help individuals is demonstrated within scripture. Yeah, absolutely. How And how do we see, uh, you mentioned this, how do we see Sabbath, do you think, play into our understanding of mental health? Um, I don't think we give it enough significance. Mm -hmm. um, if, um, if I look at, Jesus. Jesus had this wonderful balance of work and uh, work and rest. And if, as I look at that um, from a neurobiological standpoint, uh, just in the last few years, we've learned that there are two systems of the brain that we didn't know were there. And so this was rather amazing, um, not to get too into this, because even my students get bored when I get off on this stuff. But there's one part that's called the default mode network. And default mode network um, is kind of the part of the brain that's active when we're not doing anything and mm. we're just vegging out. And then there's the other one that's called the task positive when we're really focusing on a problem. I often say like, if I'm driving to CIU, right? right. I've driven that, that those a roads a times. million times. Yeah. And so I'm vegged out. I'm not paying a lot of attention. I know that the dollar store is on my left and a little right. bit further up, there's going to be another dollar store on my right that I'll cover. It's not until the car gets really close to me, then I kick into problem-solving Kind of activate. Yeah. So I'm actually moving from the default to task positive. Well, many people think that when we're vegging out and resting, or we're um, celebrating Shabbos, or uh, mm -hmm. the Sabbath, that nothing's going on. That, when we're vegged out, the brain is extremely active, and that's when moral reasoning is occurring. Mm -hmm. That's where we develop our autobiographical memory. We get a sense of who we are yeah. during that time. I call it the development of the deep self. Yeah, right, absolutely. And then task positive. you got to have that because if you live up in your head yeah. too much, you're not going to do it. In fact, the, because of the fall, if we're in that default mode too much up here, when if the, what's in our head becomes more real than what's in the world, mm. that you have a tendency toward depression and anxiety. Wow. If we, so we want Shabbos, we want rest, but right. you need to get up and do something, you right. know, when it's Shabbos good. is over. It's right? good to work. And task positive, I mean, and do that. But if you get stuck in task positive, 
you get burnout, you mm. get workaholism, and then there are deleterious health consequences and mental relationship consequences. consequences. Yeah, all yeah. these things. So we need Shabbos and we need work time in balance for uh, mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's something, uh, a great resource that I've read recently is John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, uh, which has, dives very deeply into uh, the perception and aspects of Sabbath and how um, the modern evangelical church has sadly left this commandment behind, but has told everyone to honor the other nine. Right. We can all say, don't have adultery, you know, and be like, yeah, of course, no, that's, that's still good. applied. Yeah. And I have no other gods before God. Of course, of course. When you bring up Sabbath and you'll see a lot of people go, oh, well, I don't, I don't know so much about that one anymore. And you, you see a, a, what he said, one of the most uh, interesting things that he pointed out was uh, the commandments before Sabbath are about our relationship with God, how we interact with him, how he interacts with us, maintaining that relationship. And then the rest after Sabbath are about our relationships to other people uh, and how we engage with the people around us in community. And you realize that Sabbath is a beautiful linchpin between uh, these two things, how to relate to God, how to relate to others, and how to know self. Uh, and in that, he said, when you start practicing Sabbath, it can be scary at first because your self starts to catch up with how far fa- and how fast you've been running. Uh, and so oftentimes when you become quiet and contemplative, uh, you cannot like what you find sometimes, and that'll make you want to run, but the challenge is to sit and rest and to do business with it. Absolutely. And it's confirmed by research. Um, one of my favorite researchers, uh, researcher Emmons, I think he just retired, was looking at um, what brings about happiness, true happiness. Mm-hmm. And by that he means joy. And um, it's not in work. Mm. It is that you strive and you strive toward transcendent values, mm. uh, truth, um, belief in God, love, all of those kinds of things. And that's what Shabbos is focusing on, our transcendent values in relationship with God. And if we don't do that, there's a huge problem. Life suddenly becomes without meaning or purpose. Mm. There are no transcendent values that tie everything together. Why? I mean, the biggest thing that we've seen during COVID and why we see the rise in the, in suicide among young people and the elderly is there is a sense that there's a loss of value mm. and loss of meaning, loss of purpose. That's what Shabbos is for. And when we focus, when we take time off and we really focus on relationship with God and those values that are tremendously important, we get meaning, we get purpose, we get mm. um, that, um, value. Um, and I think our culture today focuses on short-term goals and mid-range goals, which are important. Right. Um, God created us so that um, there are two two major chemicals that are really important in this that we see. And again, I'm not going to get bogged down on that one, but Shabbos, what, what, get, what uh, we get there with the connection with God is a chemical called oxytocin. It is, yeah. it, what it does, it negates the chemical that is created mm. when we're stressed out. And so the oxytocin eliminates the stress hormone of cortisol, which is amazing because cortisol will kill you in the long run. Mm. destroys every body system we have. Wow. But... Um, we need more than just uh, oxytocin. We can't go around and, you know, uh, think of God all the time or hug other people and hug a tree and things like right, that, right? Right. We need to get down and do some work. We need some short-term 
goals and mid-range. And mm. God blesses us with those. Yeah, With absolutely. those short-term goals, we get um, uh, another uh, chemical that is uh, created within the brain called dopamine. And uh, we need that shot of dopamine. That gives us a sense of pleasure mm. and accomplishment. Mm. Um, and people who don't have that balance constantly seek dopamine, and that is called addiction. Mm. All addictions are about seeking dopamine. So again, God gives us this wonderful balance between these chemicals. You have to have Shabbos, and then you got to stop Shabbos and go do some work, right? Yeah, and absolutely. in both glorify God. Amen. And, and that's one of the things that, again, uh, John Mark Comer kind of teases out in his book, and he says, uh, you live the first three days thinking about how good your Sabbath was, and you live the next three days looking forward to your next Sabbath. And so you, you have good work and good output. And that um, kind of that dopamine that you're talking about of Sabbath pulls you through the first three days, getting back at it. You know, uh, it's typically Monday. You know, a lot of people Sabbath on Sunday if they Sabbath at all. Um, but whenever you start work again, you're thinking about, oh, that was such a great day yesterday, you know, and, you know, getting to rest or take a long walk and, you know, enjoy these yeah. things. And then, um, for me, my Sabbath is Saturday. And so Thursday today, I'm always like, Oh, I'm so excited for Friday night where we deep clean the house and prepare the house for a Sabbath. And then we wake up Saturday morning. It's just, Oh, it's, it's tranquil. It's amazing. You can hear me talking about it. Now I'm thinking about how wonderful it's going to be. And, um, smiling about how it's amazing. It is yeah. really doing the job. <laughs> the point proven, right? Yeah. Here. yeah, yeah. <laughs> a case study. Well, you know, I thought Sabbath. about this once when I was dropping my older daughter off for college and it was one of those times when Carol couldn't, my wife couldn't come with me to do it. Otherwise, she'd have been there. And I was really excited because if Carol's there, then Lauren and I can't eat what we want. Mm. You know, and so we declared when they were little, we would just, when Carol would go away, we would say, you know, uh, junk food night. And so we would just <laughs> pile on the Twinkies and all the stuff that Carol wouldn't let us eat. And then we would pretend like we wouldn't do it. And so I was going to see Carol, I mean, uh, Lauren at college, and we were, I knew we would do junk, junk food night and right. eat all the things we weren't supposed to. And then as I was driving um, back, I began to uh, miss, miss her already, and I started mm. crying. I went, oh, great. Um, all these truckers are going to be able to look right down on me, and I'm a blubbery, <laughs> you know, blob of protozoan here, you know, just crying. And, uh, and then I said, why is it? that I don't feel that same thing when Shabbos ends. Mm. And then I have this craving to go back for it. And I went, you know, my priorities are a little messed up. I should mm. crave that as much as I would crave uh, seeing uh, Lauren again. Right. You know what I mean? And so I think that is that shaped my attitude towards Shabbos, that, the Sabbath. Yeah. And how do we see this come up in the life of Jesus? I, um, mean, so, I mean, talk about a deep relationship with the Father who has that attitude. How do we see it pop up throughout his ministry? Oh, man. I mean, he he does some, I think, some amazing things. Um, I don't even know if it is all just on designated days. I, I would say he had like a, a Shabbos attitude. Mm. You know what I mean? He could find Shabbos in, um, in times when he needed it. Yeah. Like going to the, the desert and mm. just saying enough. Yeah. You know, I've been around you guys. I love you. I need a break from you, right? Mm. And so he's there. But what I love about doing that is Satan comes to tempt him. 
right. during Shabbos, right? Which we will be do, which we will do, especially if we are workaholics, mm-hmm. and whispers things to them that will try to break break uh, Shabbos mm-hmm. and rob you of being connected to God and yeah. being connected to all those transcendent values that are so mm-hmm. really, really Im- important uh, important yeah. to us and to develop a deep self. So I think for me, Shabbos is important, but I kind of think it's nice if we have like a Shabbos attitude, you know, yeah. and try to find Shabbos um, in in moments. I mean, we mm-hmm. don't want to turn the entire week into Shabbos. Right. But uh, otherwise, nice then vacation. nothing is special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, vacation. Right? Well, that's the kind of vacation that my wife wishes I took, you know. Uh, so, um, I th- you know, just so much where he was very clear about about limits and modeling mm. how to um uh, you know how how to do that and um but it, but i think one thing that it was for me is he was not rigid about that mm. so even working on shabbos if you needed absolutely to work on shabbos okay yeah shabbos was made for us right yes, not us for shabbos and so it's about he is about what is in our long-term best interest. And mm. that's what the attitude of Shabbos is for me. Mm. Sometimes that means, you know, you need to save a life right now. You know, if you're a physician or whatever, firefighter, um, and then you'll find your Shabbos afterwards, right? Yeah. And so I think that flexibility, because if we're overly rigid about it, then we take something beautiful that God desires for us, and then we escalate it up into an ungodly demand upon us that Mm. becomes about us rather than Shabbos. Yeah, absolutely. And so Jesus showed that beautiful balance and not making it all about him. Right, And that's what the Pharisees had fallen into, that they had gotten so addicted to um, the rule and the letter of the law and, you you know, if your house catches on fire, you can only have, you know, the way that you carry cloaks out to make it not work. And it's just like, who's thinking of that when their house is burning down there? I'm like, am I, am I allowed to wear the four? Do I have to carry five? <laughs> How do I get these out of here? Um, and so his redefining of what Sabbath is, because um, I think that as I've, you know, heard of it and talked about it, you know, before I started practicing it, was, you know, my mindset was, you know, Jesus abolished it, but he didn't. He just redefined it. He didn't say... Look, this thing has gotten way too out of control. You just you've totally distracted it. We're just done. But uh, he says he goes, "No, remember what it's for. It's for you. It's for you." He didn't say it's done. He said it's for you. So you keep that that focus. I think that's an important part because we have a really bad tendency as people to swing from one side of a pendulum to the other because uh, oh, it's easy. A- absolutely, I think the brain is just you know just made that way. I think about. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, maybe 20, when we were talking, the assertiveness movement, right? Mm. So we were teaching people how to talk assertively and act assertively, not demandingly. And and then suddenly, um, people began, psychologists began to realize that people had turned assertiveness into an end in itself, mm. not about taking care of the self, but as an end in itself and without realizing that there's an overarching principle here, what really is in your long-term best interest? Wouldn't that be more important Mm. than looking at, I must always be assertive. What if there are times when it's not helpful to be assertive, right? 
generally assertiveness is good. But right. I think that is that human tendency to want to take good advice and turn it into an, a law. Yeah, absolutely. An absolute yeah. uh, at all times and all ways. And I think this n- comes into the next part of the, the question of um, people will look at this kind of in that those assertive terms or um, absolute yeah. rules. And they'll say, if you just had enough faith, you'll be fine. How do we address um, that issue of a sentence? That's a lo- that can be a little tricky, yeah. to be quite honest, um, because we get all messed up on this. And we don't want to say that, you know, having strong faith is invaluable. That is really, really important, right? Mm-hmm. But even with strong faith, strong faith, we live like in the shadow of the fall. Mm. And so the result will be that we're going to be predisposed to some physical and mental and emotional uh, conditions. And some of those are not going to be contingent on our effort and they're not going to be contingent on the strength of our faith. But what we've done is take something wonderful like faith, Mm -hmm. escalate it again up to the point of an ungodly demand, right? Mm. And then evaluate ourselves about something that is not healthy, Mm. right? Making it, too much of an of a absolute rather than it is a way to connect with God. Mm. And, and so I think that then what happens is um, the result is that we begin to evaluate the self as, Oh, I don't live up. I am deficient. Right. I don't have enough faith. Yeah. And where does that go? Beating up on the self over and over yeah. and over again. And um, where will that get you? Well, some depression, some anxiety, etc. And then if we make ourselves feel bad enough, then we'll act out and we act out in anything that makes us feel good. And some mm-hmm. of those things are not real helpful at, uh, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's wrong, I think, with that is then we're teaching people how to be overly focused on the self mm. and ev- constantly evaluating what's the state of our faith rather than seeing it as a goal and a way to connect with others and God. And so... If we, and it's really interesting, in the Middle Ages when they described faith in Latin, the phrase was incurvatus in se. It was turning in upon the self. Mm-hmm. So this having faith, um, when, you've, you know, when you start using it as an evaluative tool, is turning in upon yourself rather than turning, faith should help us turn wow. out into the, um, into the environment. There's one other thing that we've learned in recent history that I find really acceptable, exciting, I mean, is that the brain is designed to see threat, Mm. right? That's really helpful because can you imagine living a few thousand years ago and we were surrounded by real threats? Yeah. But the brain also makes fundamental errors around that. In fact, we have a phrase for it. It's called apophrenia. It's we see patterns of threat where there is no threat. Mm. That's helpful at one point. It keeps us alive, you know, then we can yeah. have lunch rather than be lunch, right? right? <laughs> um, on the other hand, it predisposes us to anxiety, etc. And so if we begin to even see fluctuations in our faith as a big threat, mm. then we begin to um, have some problems. You know, we, we create stress in ourselves. And if it's coming from someone else in authority, then we begin to feel bad about ourselves, et cetera. Nothing good's going to come out of that. Absolutely right. nothing good. 
because when we feel under threat, the behavior that is associated with being under threat is avoidance. Mm. That's not what we want. Yeah. You don't build faith by avoiding things. Right. Right. So I think get off the valuation of that. I mean, check in to see how you're doing. See it as a direction rather than the end. You wow. know? Absolutely. And and that uh, is kind of on the same vein of is it is pointing people towards eternity when we talk to them uh, as they're discussing things, is, is pointing people towards eternity harmful or minimizing to their current feelings or hurt? And how should we communicate? So if, for an example, if someone says, you know, I've just lost someone, this is really painful, and, you know, I'm, I'm really going through it right now, and the person's response is just, well, you'll see him again eventually, mm. and you'll get there, and, you know, you'll, you'll be in heaven too one day, and you'll be reunited. And so you, you put that focus on eternity. Does that minimize that, or how, how when and how do we use it? It's a good question. And what I always look at, and again, psychologist, right? So right. I'm looking at is by pointing to the afterlife um, a positive goal, or are you using it to avoid feeling, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If it's a positive goal and that will help you adapt to the loss that you're experiencing or the threat that you're experiencing, mm-hmm. that's helpful. Yeah. If you're saying that because you want them not to have to feel something negative, it's not helpful. Mm. We don't, we want them to have very proactive positive goals. That's right. a good one. To that work, is a good you know one. You know what I mean? But if we're trying to have them avoid, you know, oh, you don't need to, I don't want you to feel bad. Let them feel bad. Yeah. You know what I mean? That they need to lean into the loss. Yeah. And and that would be actually something that's really, 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 really helpful. And one of the ways we know whether the individual is avoiding or being proactive is there are lots of things that we do so that we can avoid. We can work too much. Yeah. We can start hitting the bottle or snorting something. Or, you know yeah. what I mean? All of that kind of Thing, all of those are avoidance behaviors, right? Um, mine is chocolate cake. That's mm. my avoidance <laughs> behavior, and I'm diabetic, so that's not a really healthy, right. <laughs> healthy thing for me to, to, to do. So I, I think with the pastor, the counselor, the friend, just check yourself. Um, mm. What are you trying to do? Do you want that person to move on because you don't feel comfortable with where they are? If so, get a grip, mm. you know? They're just going through a difficult time yeah. and just being there and and talking about how can you get the things done that you need to get done, but with an eye toward heaven. You know, yeah. that's a great way. And and what an example that, again, Jesus has in this where uh, Lazarus dies. I mean, here's the guy who has the power yeah. to bring him back, but he weeps. And you see him take the time and you see him approach the conversations and you see... Uh, the sisters come out and, and talk to him and he's willing to listen to them. And then um, he does bring Lazarus back, but it's always fascinating to see that story because, um, you know, Lazarus has to die again. <laughs> he's got to go through it twice. You know, it, it is not always the thing that we wish we could have immediately answered won't solve what our deep hurt could be. Um, and so that is always so true to, to lean into those times of hardship sometimes to, to look at the self and think, and I'm hurting, and I know that I have a Savior who understands what it means to right. hurt right. Uh, and who can walk with me in this. And 
you can still have that long-term goal, you know, and, but it's okay to look at the short term and say, yeah, this is tough. Yeah. Mm. It, it is tough. Get up off the couch, take your shower, mm. do some things. And, um, and people say, but I don't feel it. And I'm like, it's not required. Mm. You're feeling, if you wait for the feeling, you may be waiting a while, right? Yeah. So sometimes I always say it is, sometimes it's easier to act your way into a feeling than to feel your way into an action, mm. you know? Sometimes we, I always joke, my wife was a, um, the chair of a um, uh, biochemistry department at an engineering university. And she would come home and she goes, Steve, we've been invited to a party. And I went, an engineering party? <laughs> <laughs> That's not my idea of a party. Ooh, Those were so fun. Know, <laughs> how will I contain myself, you know? And so I go, Carol, I think I'm going to be sick that night. <laughs> and uh, I love being the head of the house. She said, you're going. And so I would go, you know, I didn't change my attitude. I thought, this is not going to be fun. Yeah. We're going to talk about, you know, inclined planes and pulleys and <laughs> things like that. And I'm not interested. And I'd get there and the chicken would be good. And there would be some fun conversations. Right. I'll never forget. Some guy came up and he said, yeah, I hear you're a psychologist. I'm going through a depression. Like, oh, thank God. You know? Oh, good. And so we get to talk <laughs> something about you know, And, uh, but what happened? Uh, I changed my behavior, and then my feeling changed. And so mm. Jesus does that. I was even mentioned it earlier, right? The man yeah. by the well, right? Get up, take your mat, and go. He didn't wait for him to change his feeling about that. He had him yeah. change his behavior. Grieve. Um, take, give yourself some time to do, take whatever time you need there. But there may be some tasks that you need to do. And sometimes doing those tasks, and people go, but aren't I faking it? I go, not if you're a Christian. Mm. That's called hope. You're mm. acting in the hope that that meaning yeah. will come back and purpose will come back and acting in all light of those of hope. things. Yeah, yeah it's just hope. It's not faking it till you make it. It's hope. Yeah, and that's where I think you see things that are so important in in as in Paul's writings, where you can see him really talk a lot about the idea of for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, and he's saying these things over and over again, multiple different ways. Because when push comes to shove, if you've trained yourself to remember that and, and to say that, then it happens and you can act in light of what you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. And I like when Paul there in Corinthians um, says, so we don't lose hope. Mm. You know, the outer nature ways is wasting away the inner nature. Goes from every, for this slight momentary affliction, I love the reframe because mm. it doesn't uh. feel that way. But this light momentary of uh, affliction is preparing us for a weight of glory that is beyond imagination. Mm. That's something you can cling to. Oh, yeah. You don't see it there, but it's, uh, it's, it's beyond imagination. You can't, you can't get your arm around that, but it's, it's, that's, a, uh, that's a statement you can take to the bank and live yeah. out of, right? Absolutely. And Peter says the same thing in First Peter where he says, if now for a little while yeah. you're grieved by various trials. And you see him, he's not saying... I'm not going to pretend like you're not being grieved and that you're not being persecuted or hurt or feeling bad and, and walk and really going through it. He's not minimizing. He's saying, Hey, that is true, but know yeah. that it's for a little while. Yeah. And then he goes into this beautiful uh, aspect of his letter about how precious the faith is and how it's more valuable than gold and how if gold is so valuable in our eyes, but it perishes in the fire. You won't perish. Look how wonderful you must be in the eyes of God. Then and it's, those things, when you realize, you know, this is how God sees me, I don't have to think about so much how I see myself, though I understand that I'm hurting. I'm going to go to the transcendent truth. 
that we talked about at the beginning. And that is why I think that's what Shabbos is for, mm. to remind us of those transcendent values. And I think it's nice to even read scripture and just start jotting down what some of those transcendent values are mm. that are being held up to us because yeah. that is what gives meaning. That's what gives us purpose. That's what tie. That's what puts the bow on life, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's about. If you don't have that, then you're... Um, there was a poet that I liked who said, you know, that it's like drifting in with every passion until your soul is a string lute upon which all lutes can play. Mm. Is For this, we've given up our ancient wisdom and austere control. Just to be a hopeless passion, to drift from one thing mm. to another, that's kind of a sad, sad scene, yeah. you know? And um, but that's what faith would do. That's what those transcendent values will do. They'll give depth and meaning and purpose yeah. to that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you can live... As Paul says, he's been brought low and he's been, you know, brought high. You know, whether he has a lot or a little, he's still focused on the transcendent truth because he knows that whatever he has in this physical world will eventually pass, whether it's something wonderful or something miserable. Um, yeah. Because we can get uh, addicted to the wonderful very easily uh, and then put all of our value in that. Uh, yeah. And it'll fade one day. You know? it, it, it will fade. But, you know, I think going through this, you know, in philosophy, we talk about two kinds of freedom, a positive freedom and a negative freedom. Mm. Both are good. Positive freedom is even better. But negative freedom is where we have constraints and the constraints have been removed from us. You know, all things are lawful. Right. Um, positive freedom is to be able to act upon the freedom that you have. Mm. You can have this, I mean, just think about slavery. You can take the shackles off, but if you've been deprived... You don't have the positive freedom yet, yeah. you know? You have to learn that um, and practice it and live in it and, and all of those. It takes, uh, the, that takes a while. But I think by going through, going through those hardships with those transcendent values, then um, you realize that uh, you have positive freedom then. You can face the worst mm. and um, see it all as hope. I think where we get in trouble as humans is when we begin to see the world and others as this insurmountable threat, mm. right? And life itself is an insurmountable threat. And I think what faith does is it says the threat isn't, the threat is real sometimes. There are mm -hmm. real threats, right? Yeah. But what faith gives us is opportunity in the midst of the threat. Mm. And so that what looks like all darkness, there is opportunity. And if we can make that shift, that cognitive shift, to say, in the midst of every threat, let me see, pardon me, but yeah. see, my, see my faith as a resource so that I can begin to see the opportunities that God has, uh, is granting mm. me in the midst of this threat. Yeah, and, and that's kind of on that mindset of the pastor that says, he's created good works for us to walk into, that idea yes. that there are things prepared for you. Um, and then the prayer that we'd have the wisdom to see them. Um, is is so important. And as we look at this, how, how are some practical uh, things that Christians can do to, to take care of their mental health? I, I just jotted down a few things because I, I do these because I, these are things I have to remind myself about because <laughs> I'm not always great about this kind of thing. But I put at the top, one of the things at the top is look at the meaning that you are giving to events and situations. Mm. Because sometimes our interpretation is really, really not helpful. If we're interpreting an event as this huge threat, 
if we're interpreting an event as an insurmountable loss, if we're seeing it as a huge and overwhelming attack upon us, those inferences or that meaning that we're giving to that is not helpful. And it's not going to help you, right, navigate. So if you can, as I said before, see the opportunity, see grace in the midst of, I mean, I mean we don't want to minimize things, mm-hmm. you know, but be realistic and not turn it into something, you know, like Sisyphus putting, rolling up a big ball, a boulder up a thing and mm-hmm. a, a hill and it's going to roll back down. Right. You know, no, that's not the life that God has created right. for you. In fact, he would be pushing the, he would be pushing yeah. the boulder up. So I think watch the meaning that you're giving to the events too is, um, really be taking an honest inventory about the beliefs that you have about yourself, mm. about others, about life, about the world, and about God. I mean, really, I Rene Descartes, the famous philosopher, said, think of your beliefs as like apples within a big barrel and just pick them up one by one and just kind of do a self-assessment, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes, I try to do it. I had a friend of mine who was a Roman Catholic priest, and he practiced it, and he said, Steve, you ought to try it. Um, and I went, I, well, I, I didn't, I say, I don't fully trust you, but I will, um, I'll go through it. And so he has an examination of conscience mm-hmm. twice a day. And so I just take, I do an inventory of what have I been believing about myself, others, life and world and God up to this point mm. in, in the day. And so I can recalibrate if I need to, yeah. need to do that. Uh, another that's a one, good one. And scripture says to hold captive, you yeah, know, those that's thoughts. Right. That's great advice. Hold captive. What do you do while you're holding it? Uh, assess it. Is it helpful or not? And if not, change it, mm. right? And then act on the changed, uh, on the changed uh, thought that you have. Um, the other one is to uh, develop positive goals. Uh, mm. Goals that we call them approach goals in psychology, something that you want to attain rather than avoidance goals, things that you want to avoid. Yeah. That is tremendously important, and people don't often do that. We think mm. about, oh, I don't want to gain weight. Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't right. Those avoidance goals are tied to depression and anxiety mm. because if you think about it, one positive goal, all you have to do is find one way to attain it. Yeah. Avoidance goals, you have to think of all the possible ways to avoid it. It's so you just very complicated. That's you, a really big wall. There you go. Yeah. You've really complicated your life. So no surprise that people who are depressed and anxious tend to have avoidance goals rather than positive goals. So mm. try to turn your negative goals, things that you're trying to avoid, into something positive to attain. I try to do that in my spiritual life too. Mm. Rather than say, oh, oh I'm going to avoid, I'm just going to focus on avoiding sin. Why not focus on the best way to glorify God? Mm. You know what I mean? And yeah. so constantly looking for sin. If you do that, you're going to be an expert on sin, but you may not be an expert on how to glorify God. Yeah. You know, I think the latter would be more important than the the former. The other one is stay connected with others. Um, Because if we disconnect from others, you know, that oxytocin that we have, Mm -hmm. one of the places where we get that is being connected with others, connected with our transcendent values and connected with God. So stay connect with, uh, with people Um, strive to reach short-term goals. You know, you got to have those short-term goals, strive to reach those, and practice gratitude Mm. every day and everything if we can, you know, to just be grateful for the fact that we're alive and kicking and Mm. we have a great God, you know? Amen. Those are are the things that I think would greatly are doable. They're doable. They take a little work. But you know what? We have found in research that striving for a goal brings more happiness than attaining the goal. 
Mm. And so keep striving for it, yeah. you know? Not not neurotically, right? you know, not as a workaholic, but mm-hmm. it's a goal. Let me work toward that goal. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that just put in my mind um, C.S. Lewis's The Last Battle mm. in the very end of the Narnia series, and they get to heaven, essentially, and they're running faster and further, and Aslan <laughs> keeps saying, further in and farther up, further in and farther up. Um, and, and it's just that idea that we have not just a transcendent value that we can be working towards, but a transcendent value that is infinitely good Yeah, that you can infinitely be digging into, uh, that you can always be pursuing and that we will always be pursuing further up and farther in, you know, and, and that is uh, when you hear that, it just, it, it fills me with joy thinking about that, um, that there will never be, uh, and then so that, that idea of that chasing that goal is such a positive experience. Like he's created one that is infinite, and how wonderful that is uh, to think of that. And I think also I was reminded of uh, again back to First Peter, uh, where he's saying you're being grown in your salvation, you're growing up in your salvation. He's saying long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may mm. grow up in your salvation, um, because he had just said we you know we're going to live to righteousness and die to sin, and that can sound like a big task right there but he's saying you're growing it's a growing process and i think that oftentimes we don't give ourselves enough grace when we're going through things like this we think well i should have it figured out by now he's saying well you're growing you can you can be okay with growing and and understand that you're growing and things are changing and i think that's uh, a huge aspect to it too because it become very fatalist if you just go i've received salvation yet i don't have what i think i should have so i'm done yeah, I mean, even at a human level. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can do it in the salvation, but um, I have a friend who's a psychologist, and he says, we got to watch our, we've got to watch and overfocus on goals sometimes. Mm. And he gives an example of a family with two sons, and they're going to um, um, Disney World. And the one son is focused on getting to Disney World and everything fun that he's going to do. Mm. And the other one is focusing on, being with his mom and dad and his brother mm. and all the experiences that they will have on the way there. The car breaks down. The first son is all angry. And the second oh, yeah. son said, what are we going to do tonight at the hotel? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? And so the, the, the journey, the, um, you know, the, the striving in community and knowing that you're with God, mm. You, it doesn't have to be a, um, a walking through the veil of tears. You know, right, the, right. That it, it can be glorious uh, too, and uh, we'll be prepared for enjoyment when we do reach that one, yeah. uh, the final goal. Absolutely. Yeah. I was also thinking as you were uh, talking about those uh, positive goals to have yeah, versus yeah. the negative goals, and I know for myself, I had um, had a bit the big, you know, classic. I don't want to gain weight, right? So then you've yeah. got that huge wall around. Um, but recently, thanks to my Apple Watch and these addictive colored rings that can close, and a oh. lot of a lot of people will be familiar with this, the Apple Watch ring. So you're 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 standing, your exercise, and you know how many calories you've burned actively. When you close these rings, man, is it satisfying? Yeah. But it, none of it's linked to weight. It's all linked to positive things like hey and it'll run like take a short walk you know hey don't forget to you know walk around the office for two minutes today to hit your stand goal and then you realize that the the negative thing that was 
seemed impossible because there's so many breaches to it. But then you take the positive things and you feel better and you're more excited about it. And it's more attainable because you feel energized to do it. If we could find what our spiritual rings are yes. and close those each day, you know, what a difference that'll make to our relationship to God and to others. Exactly. And I think that's a great analogy because that watch, when you see those rings close, yeah. you get a shot of dopamine. Yeah, fireworks go off on it. It's there great. There you go. <laughs> it's it's helping you celebrate and have that dopamine high, right, for for a while. Right. That'll die down. Right. You know? <laughs> and, and maybe maybe the chocolate cake craving comes a little bit later. Right. You know? <laughs> you know? But no, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's a very mm. positive goal. You don't get any of that high by avoiding a goal. Right. You get no dopamine by avoidance. Mm. You know, you just complicate your life and make it harder for you to attain goals. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you beat up on yourself for not, you know, for messing it up, which is worse. And then it just becomes a cycle. Yep. And and again, with Philippians, you see uh, with the things that Paul says where he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And, and he's, you know, he gives some habits and some good things to do. And you realize that there are, you know, cycles that can be very harmful and bad that just yeah. lead to each other. But then also, if you create some positive habits, some positive actions, those can just really propel you, you know, in positive directions. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Man, it is fascinating how much the Lord has given in so many things uh, that we could have what Christ calls, you know, life and life in the fullest in him. Uh, and that we don't avoid pain or suffering or hardship but rather we have hope and action and transcendent values that can bring meaning where many in the world would say there's nothing. Nothing. Um, so what, as we close this, what, what's one thing you'd like people to walk away from this conversation knowing? Oh, I guess it is work, rest, worship, mm. with an eye toward the being in uh, connection God and others and striving for those transcendent values. Absolutely. And you got it all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. This was a real pleasure My to get pleasure. to sit down and talk with you. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this production from Sand Hills Media Ministry. This episode was produced and hosted by John Daybeck. Audio mixing and camera work by Sean Wigner. Post production by Eric Wigner. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Steve Johnson. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us through liking, subscribing, and sharing on your social media. It does more than you know to fuel this project. If you'd like to know more about Sandhills, or if you'd like to join us on a Sunday, you can do so at sandhillschurch.org. Our intro song is Same Blood Instrumental by King's Kaleidoscope.